Hey everybody, welcome to Casual Cognition. We have an interesting episode for you today. We're going to talk about some things we have hinted at a little bit in other episodes, but haven't really delved into properly. We're going to get into activism to start, which is a little bit of a buzzword these days. And then we transition into psychedelics. So gear up for some pretty weird stuff today. And we finish things off with a little casual biography segment on Richard Alpert, a.k.a. Ramdas, who has been inspiring to both Hank and I. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. All right. There we are. Here we are. Welcome to our slightly delayed show. Good to be back, Not delayed Nate. for the listeners. Never delayed for the listeners. Never. I don't know if I've ever been more consistent with anything in my entire existence than this podcast. It's true, dude. It's. I think it's about time we gave ourselves it's a little true. pat you on haven't. the back. <laughs> I mean, it's. we've been going for... We're running I mean, on a, We're getting close to a year. We're getting close. And I think it's been like next 11, month. It'll be a year. Eleven months or something. We're gonna have to do something special good. for our year, our actual like anniversary. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, that's exciting. I just love it. It's it's really special. So, I don't know. I guess it's just about being passionate about something, and you know. It also helps to have you and our unseen audience to keep me accountable, so I know sure. that I'm not I'm not just letting down myself if I fuck up. Yeah, it's a lot easier to let oneself everyone. down, isn't it? It's so much easier. <laughs> like, well, I've done that before. <laughs> I'm a professional failure. Talk about mm. turning pro. I turned pro long ago in amateurish activities. <laughs> we'll uh, but we'll, we'll get into that one on a on another episode because that for anyone who hasn't checked out that book, it's amazing. We're gonna we're gonna do a library segment on it. Yeah. In the yeah, we'll do a library. one of the coming episodes. But for today, we're gonna kick it off with every college student's favorite activity which is <laughs> uh twittering you're <laughs> scrolling through social media in general no this is oh wait uh, no that was our we already did an episode about that no th- this is the most virtuous thing that you could possibly do and there's definitely <laughs> no pitfalls at all involved with this none whatsoever es- especially as a uh young adult no 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 traps here at all but then we're, yeah. we're talking about activism here yes <clears throat> i was about to say real activism but we can talk about all kinds of activism yes um definitely i, I mean, actually I, think go ahead go ahead i think that that's an important thing to mention today is like like there's so many ways to get involved with different stuff but you, most of the time the traditional ways are 
the one the way more effective it's like oh yeah we can do all this like t- like campaigning on social media and this and that and raise awareness it's like yeah but it's probably going to be more efficient and do more if you just gave them money whoever you're trying to wa- raise awareness for and nowadays like like there's so much awareness of so much shit it's it's like people have have become inundated with it and you know all those awareness ribbons on the backs of cars yeah drive me fucking nuts dude there's a couple couple interesting things there for sure because on one hand yeah like the awareness thing on social media as we've talked about in previous episodes like these platforms are basically confirmation bias echo chambers so like these awareness things are just going to people who are already aware and then everyone's like yeah we're so aware about this but it's like what about all of the people that you're not friends with or like that aren't (laughs) liberal or conservative depending on like what the awareness thing i guess the awareness campaigns are generally going to be more left-leaning but uh so that's like one thing and then the other thing to mention about like the just give them money thing that unfortunately can be like that can go either way it can it totally depends on the organization and how they're yeah who's running it and like what's going on because i know there have been plenty of examples of um i don't i don't know i don't want to like shoot any specific organizations down but i feel like i I remember reading like the red cross it's like yeah they're doing great shit but they're also their fucking admin costs are like insanely high and it's like you know so how so if you're giving money to certain organization like i think it's important to know how they're actually spending the money because it's not all going to um you know aids patients or starving children or whatever yeah you know the uh, the susan g komen foundation the one that does breast cancer awareness oh god dude they're yeah. notorious for this exact thing we're talking about here <clears throat> you know yeah they, i mean it's all about raising awareness and they're just shoveling cash into their own bank accounts. Yeah, I mean, she's she was, I remember, I don't know if this is still going on, but she was making like millions of dollars a year running that fucking non-profit organization. It's like, just basically just selling pink shit. Yeah. Like, I actually feel bad for breast cancer people these days because it's like almost cliche at this point. It's like, oh, you have breast cancer? Lop those titties off. You're good. And, you know, it used to be that was, like, the biggest thing. It was a super big deal. And, uh, yeah, now everybody's just like, oh, what, are you going to ask me to wear a pink shirt now? I mean, when you say everybody, I think uh, I think you might be exaggerating a little bit. Maybe, maybe in your neck of the woods down there in the fucking <laughs> swamplands. <laughs> <laughs> But us Everybody, Euro- bro. Us Europeans are a little more cultured than you feel. I'm pretty sure that, like, you, <laughs> Jimmy, uh, v- v- Vagar, uh, Daniel, I'm pretty sure there's only, like, seven people living over there in Europe. I've never <laughs> seen any others. Uh, there's a lot of people over here. I've seen them before. 
I bet um, you have, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, activism. So, you know, I, uh, I really, whenever I think about this sort of thing, um, for me, I've always been a very, like, like my activism is, um, in the words of um, Mr. David Nickturn, meditation teacher. Um, Splendid fellow. I try to, yeah, I try to tend the part of the garden that I can touch. So I'm, I do, I, I regularly donate to certain charitable foundations, which I did do my research on. I know that they're good. And uh, um, certain creators, like on Patreon. Um, wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, and And so, like, I do that is sort of like my wider um, contribution. But whenever I think of like activism, because really activism is like a, a fancy concept for just trying to improve the world for, yeah. um, I was going to say for other people, but it's more just like, I mean, there's lots of ones that are around, you know, animals and stuff too. So it's, it's do-gooding essentially. Um, but I think that activism implies a little bit more of like a uh, a, a, a disambiguation of a certain thing. So, you know, helping out some or giving some money to some random homeless guy, that's not really activism. Going down and, and like working at the homeless shelter, like that would be a little bit more of an activist kind of thing because you're helping to solve a problem. Or if you're like regularly, like if every time you see a homeless person, you go and give them some money, then uh, maybe that could be considered some kind of activist um, thing. Because I think it's a little bit more intentional and directed than just doing good things. Um, so whenever I think about this sort of thing, I try to I try to come up with some kind of um, some kind of system. It's like, all right, well, maybe. Um, like there's been a lot of talk in America lately about race. Maybe be extra smiley and polite to black people, <laughs> you know. Um, maybe um, try to try to seem less threatening to women <laughs> when you're walking around at night. I know that's one thing as a big dude. Like I've I've seen so many women look at me like I'm about to human traffic them or something. And, you know, a, just a, a friendly smile or just like a hello, like it can it can go a long way to like disarm people or, or, you know, calm them down, ease their minds. So it's like little things like that. And then also getting involved in some way, like with your community. I think that's another great way to do like localized activism, because, I mean, the the, the grander scale activism stuff gets really difficult it takes a ton of work and i think for a lot of people it ends up becoming this sort of like outrage machine where yeah. they start off with good intentions but they end up just yelling at people all the time um because usually the, in these activist things there's a there's a protagonist and an antagonist somewhere in there oh yeah um even with like homeless people it's like, well, the antagonist will be like greedy corporations or an ineffectual government or something like that. 
Yep. So they end up like instead of helping the protagonists, which are the target of the activism, whatever that may be, they just end up having outrage towards the antagonist. And that's a lot less helpful. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it kind of reminds yeah. me of, of something that, um, I think it was Jordan Peterson was talking about this, like, you know, like, and, and I think there's some validity to this, you know, but is something along the lines of, he was like specifically speaking to college students, I think. And it's like, before you fucking go out and try to like save the world with your fucking activism, like just go in your, like, how does your room look? Oh yeah. You know, famous, like, clean up your room like clean up your fucking room before you like because dude that's the thing you're ne- like nobody's mm-hmm. gonna be able to like your immediate environment is like the launch pad from which you can affect eff- change in the greater environment and if your immediate environment is in complete chaos and your and your inner life and world is just completely fucked like you're just going to poison everything else that you're doing with that same kind of chaotic, like random, inefficient, un- unintentional, like, uh, for lack of the better, better term, energy. And, yeah. you know, when it comes to activism, like, yeah, it's it's great to want to want to help people. That's obviously like there's a there's a noble intention there, but there is also. I think we need to like recognize when we're doing that so that we don't have to solve our own problems, but so we can just project all of our own bullshit onto the external world and like, and it's activism. Yeah. And it's, it's also, it's not that simple because like you mentioned the example of just like giving money to homeless people. Right. And unfortunately, like, Sometimes that could be super helpful. It totally, but it's totally on an individual basis because some of some of these people are like drug addicts. So now you're actually just enabling their drug addiction, right? Some people are like mentally ill or, um, you know, veterans or there's so many different situations. So maybe so, like a lot of those times it could be really helpful to somebody, but you don't know. And you could just be enabling a local drug addict to continue their fucking drug addiction, you know? And like I've you think like I've definitely done ah, some enabling. Of yeah, like ah, I'm, I'm such a good person. I'm giving this person money who doesn't have any, and they're like, literally, as soon as it's in their hand, they go to buy booze or fucking crack or whatever, like whatever their poison is. And you know, it's the same. I even with- had one told me he was like. He was like, oh, hell yeah, I'm going to get me a bottle of vodka tonight. And I was like, fuck yeah, brother, fist bump it. (laughs) I was like, appreciate your your honesty. You got to realize, Hank, this guy was on his last legs. This guy was probably going to die pretty soon. He He was like, his walking was like six inches at a time. And there's just, you're not, what am I going to do for that man besides buy him a bottle of vodka? Like... There's sometimes, and I, I've I've heard your um, your exact opinion on that from a lot of people, and you know, I look at the homeless people that I end up giving this stuff to, 
and sometimes they're you know they're younger they have um you know they look decent they don't look like they're completely falling apart usually the homeless people that i give money to look like they could be killed by a strong breeze and it's pretty rare to see them in a in florida it's actually illegal here to panhandle Mm. so um usually it's just some like broken soul and you know what else are you gonna do besides make him happy for a night it um it's a it's a little bit of a bummer but uh you know i get a little off topic with this but it always makes me sad um when i think about it but i'd rather give him that money and him go buy the booze you know I'd, i'd rather like i'd rather give them the money even knowing that they're going to do something irresponsible with it than just like not do anything and that's what I would do if I didn't give him the money because I'm not going to go down to the fucking soup kitchen because I'm not that good of a person. Yeah, and you're not going to exactly just, what like, we're have talking a about here. conversation with them <laughs> so that they're seen well, and heard. I have had conversations with them. I usually try to chat with them a little bit. I think, to me, that's, like, the most... That is going to make the biggest difference, like... I mean, giving them money for booze or drugs, like, it's not really going to make them happy. It's just going to, you know, make their, the demon inside of them very happy for, for a little bit. Uh, but I well, mean... Well, you know, it's a good idea with that is to give, give them some food. Yeah, exactly. Give them a gift card. That's what I've done a few times is, like, you run over to Little Caesars and buy a pizza. You see one of those dudes? Um, <laughs> I bought a pizza and breadsticks for this guy one time. And he looked at me like I was like God stepped down from heaven. Like he, it, he, it looked like he couldn't really fathom what I had just done. And I was like, that was like six bucks. <laughs> like he was so happy, and he, he was just holding this pizza in his hands and like looking at me like, what do I do with this food? And I came back like, like yeah, like ten, fifteen minutes later, and he's sitting in the same spot just chowing. <laughs> he had eaten like half the pizza already jowing down nice so that that's actually a good way to do it yeah so feel good so but i think you know to to get back to the the topic at hand like i I guess my point is that like it's not as like noble intentions unfortunately are not all that is needed and they can be taken advantage of i.e yeah the Susan B. Komen whatever foundation, like perfect example um, of just like really fucking good marketing. And then all of these people who are like, yay, I'm going to help. And then they're just like putting money into this bitch's fucking lining her coffers. Pink stickers. <laughs> they're just buying pink stickers. That's all they're doing. They're not um, actually doing anything for breast cancer. <clears throat> So maybe we can we can uh, we we talked about the like a little bit of the pitfalls and like the bad bad things that can happen, but maybe we can lighten it up a little bit and uh, <laughs> lighten it up some because there is there is something that is really like powerful in terms of the intention and if it's done well, where you can actually see the like what these kind of actions are doing like when it comes to i think one of my favorite ones is like just 
because it's so you can immediately see the difference is like cleaning shit up like picking up trash like Ooh, ocean yeah, that's cleanups really good one. on the beach and different stuff like that like that's something where you can you can see the difference immediately and um especially when it comes to in the sea like all that plastic and shit is so dangerous i mean i'm sure at this point everybody's seen the or maybe not but i think i think a lot of our listeners will have seen something of like you know a seagull getting caught like in a can (laughs) round plastic whatever thing or like a turtle that's stuck in a their shells all fucked up yeah which is just horrifying but like yeah so those are things that i think are it's like super easy you don't need to have a big organization you don't need to like give money you can just like walk around with a bag and then put trash in it and then dude did you do you remember the trash tag that went around a while back no you might not have seen that since you you're not a big social media um consumer but this was actually one of the coolest versions of this i've ever seen it was this it's called trash tag and it was like a, a play on hashtag and the whole point was like like to to take pictures to post on social media of you with a big bag of trash like a before and after like this is the area full of trash and this mm. is it all bagged up that i cleaned up mm. and it went around for for like months and there was tons of people do i actually think the pandemic might have been one of the big things that really killed it but it was starting to get a little old unfortunately those things end up being kind of viral yeah um but for a while like like there was a shitload of people online going around and picking shit up and then like using it for for social media points and even though the intention there is like selfish it ends up being like collectively um unselfish collectively um uh what's the word i'm looking for philanthropic um so like i think that there's ways that we can kind of harness this because a lot of this activism is just like youthful energy trying to go to a good spot yeah because young people ourselves included we got a lot of energy, and it's it's hard to direct it. We haven't, like... I, I don't even like to use the word, like, haven't learned, because a lot of times we have learned, we just haven't practiced enough. Like, we haven't right. had enough time to develop discipline. Maybe we got set back by something that happened in our childhoods or, or whatever. So we've got all this energy, but we have a hard time harnessing it and putting it into the things that we want uh, to use it for. So things like that trash tag thing that's a perfect example of how somebody harnessed all that youthful look at me energy and said yes we can we can do two things at once here we can generate you social media interaction we can give you that precious precious attention that you crave so much and we can clean up all this trash at the same time and that's where I, I see the positive in a lot of this activism stuff, uh, this like sort of like social media activism. Um, I think it has a lot of potential. There's obviously tons of examples of people out there doing nothing but posting on Twitter, or Instagram, or whatever, and everybody liking it. That's all they ever do, and then they scroll past, and nothing ever gets done. 
But I think that there's also a lot of examples of it actually being a really positive force. Um, I don't think that... Uh, I certainly don't think that we'd be having this conversation about race in America, and I honestly, I doubt that Derek Chauvin would have gotten um, would have gotten convicted unless that video of him kneeling on George Floyd's neck went viral. Right. And so, like, like as fucked up as it sounds, um, because people don't like to think about, like, oh, if that video didn't go viral, the prosecutors, the jury, the judge, they might not have felt the pressure they needed to convict. It sounds fucked oh, up, but it happens all the time. For sure, especially considering... I mean, if you just look at how often this kind of shit happens, mm -hmm. especially in the U.S., and how how seldom the officers get convicted and how infrequently their punishment is severe enough, like, yeah. oh, yeah, um, that was, yeah, that, that was bad, so you're going to get some paid leave yeah, you're, you're gonna, gonna get we're two gonna months vacation paid vacation. For a person. Yeah, it's like, uh, no, that's no. So I mean, but that's also, yeah, I guess that's like a combination of this, yeah, of activism, but also just like the internet. So the internet has has like has really changed the way that activism works in like in general. And it's completely changed yeah. the way that like how much outreach organizations can have, which is super interesting. Um, but again, like there is this, yeah, it's, it's interesting to me to think about like the interaction of that because there's also like the echo chamber thing, right? So it's still, there's still barriers like so now it's like way bigger the amount of people that every organization can reach but there's still like barriers between groups uh based on their psychological profile that the fucking algorithms are putting together and like you know put like it's like these artificial um virtual groups that are now the conglomerates and like they have their set of information that everybody believes and thinks about and acts on and then the d other groups have their own set and i don't know this is kind of getting into a different like topic almost but i think that's just something to to uh, explore further maybe in another yeah. conversation yeah and the reason why i brought up that stuff is because like I said before, it's easy to kind of shit on the raising awareness, um, Twitter activism type of stuff, um, as I just did a few minutes ago. <laughs> but there, we do need to like recognize the power of it because it has gotten a lot of shit done that would not have happened um, otherwise. I'm pretty, and, and like I said, I'm pretty sure the the Chauvin case is a perfect example. Um, I honestly. I think that Donald Trump probably would have won the presidency if it wasn't for, like, massive amounts of, like, activism on the internet about, like, you better fucking vote. Like, people were being extremely pressured to vote, especially young people. There was all kinds of... I had a bunch of people texting me, like, 
Are you going to vote? Like, bitch, I was voting way before it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, what do you mean, am I going to vote? Are you going to vote? Have you ever voted before? <laughs> I voted in the midterms, motherfucker. Um, but, like, so there, there is many examples of this actually working. And I think that really it's just kind of... Um, we we just kind of need to figure out where the where the new balance is in the modern day of doing versus like highlighting and ra- the raising awareness thing like cuz that's important there's there's a lot of subjects out there that if the general public knew more about they'd everybody would think it'd be more important um the mental health thing you know everybody all of a sudden started talking about mental health mostly due to the fact that people started realizing that people were dropping like flies from opioid addictions. Right. And people were getting blown away in mass shootings, and people were like, all right, what the fuck is going on here? And now everybody's talking about mental health. So, like, like I think the spread of information on the Internet has created a lot more avenues for activism to to work in that way. Um, we just have to kind of strike the balance in ourselves of like not giving ourselves too many pats on the back for raising awareness. Like that's the bare minimum. And for an awareness campaign to actually do something, you, you're a snowflake in an avalanche. So yeah, you're doing something, but it's the very bare minimum. And the, um, we're getting, getting pretty close to time to uh, move on to the next topic here. But, uh, Last thing I wanted to say on this was kind of like the other the the thing that we haven't really gotten into as far as activism is like at what point do you say all right this is important enough to me that I'm going to like really sacrifice for it I'm going to put my body on the line I'm going to put a large chunk of my income on the line I'm going to maybe even travel somewhere and do something or join some organization make it make it my job and i think that's really where it steps from like like you know you you kind of just being a a drop in a bucket and or you know a, a single water droplet in a wave then you're like directing that energy it's like you're in charge you're the one who's saying, all right, we've got an awareness campaign over here. How are we going to use that energy? So, like, if you're really, really passionate about some of this stuff, I think that you've got to figure out some way to, like, integrate that into your living, into your day-to-day. And I'm honestly, like, I'm not super passionate about a lot of activist stuff. I, I am, I obviously, like, I get into a lot of these problems, but you know making the podcast making art things like that like that's that's my passion creation is my passion and that's different than activism um and you know i I really love to serve others and i really love to like like do kind things for people but yeah i've tried i've do i've done some charity work and stuff and it's it's not really for me, I don't think. Um, some people, they fucking love going down to the soup kitchen. It makes them feel great. It makes their whole week. 
um, I've, I've volunteered in nursing homes and at homeless shelters and recycling centers and shit. And it definitely gives me a nice feeling. Um, but, you know, I, I don't feel called to do that sort of stuff as like, you know, my, my, I'm, I'm not going to go down there all the time. But some people do feel that calling. And I think if you do feel that calling, it's the same thing as with Hank and I and our creativity. Like we feel called to create. It's our job. It's important. We need to cultivate that. It's, we've been blessed with this, um, with this ability, this passion, and, and it's our, almost our responsibility to explore and uh, express that. And I think the exact same thing goes for if you're super passionate about activism. If you're super passionate and you really care about some sort of cause or something, sitting on social media and posting about it is the same thing as like, it's like a resistance thing. It's the same thing as you and I, um, you know, sitting down at our at our art desk or our music station and pulling out our phones and scrolling through social media or something. It's like you're distracting yourself from doing the stuff that you really should be doing. And what you really should be doing is actually getting out there and getting like putting yourself on the line in that. That's what's going to make you happy and that's what's going to actually make a difference in the world. Preach. So there's my activist spiel. (laughs) (laughs) Amen, brother. Uh, oh boy yeah man I mean sounds about right yeah it's, you heard it here first you ready to take a <laughs> <laughs> you ready to take a big left turn on this one yeah well I was trying to figure out like okay how can we how can we like you know how we're, can we we're gonna have to hard segue in? on this one <laughs> but what about what about this one because there is an organization uh, known maps? as maps Huh? Huh? The Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. That's I right. Nailed it. It's a that's right. Hard one to say. Yeah, that's, that's why they have that. That's why they have that. It's a great acronym. It's a great. It is a great acronym. So. So. We've got a. Uh, we're taking two things from pretty different areas. Um. And we're gonna tie it up in a real nice bow at the end. That's right. Uh, highlighting a, a favorite character of ours. Um, but we wanted to talk about psychedelics for a little while. We brought it up one time on the podcast, maybe maybe once or twice. But um, it it it's something that deserves. I mean, its own. It, people do have their own podcasts about it, but it. It, there's so much time we could spend on this subject, but um, and we'll talk about it more in the future. But we thought it fit nicely into this episode. Um, Hank, do you want to start us off with psychedelics? I feel like I've been yapping a lot. Sure thing. Um, I mean, yeah, there's there's a lot of different places that we could go with this. Um, I guess start off with uh, when did you first become aware of such things? Well, uh, Nate and I grew up in a small town, (laughs) Sedona, Arizona. And if you know anything about Sedona, you'll know why we're talking about psychedelics right now. Yeah. So for people who don't know about Sedona, 
it's a it's a special place because it's probably it's one of the few places that I can think of where like the drug of choice for high school students is like it's more likely to be weed than alcohol (laughs) (laughs) Um, and you know it's a it's it's a very special place with um, it's kind of this weird mixture of like retirement community massive um, like tourist attraction and like hippie mecca <laughs> and like that, mountain- that was literally i've called it the, the mecca of hippies for years <laughs> i love it and it totally is yeah you meet a hippie somewhere in the world and you mention that you're from sedona they'll be like what yeah you're from sedona yeah oh. there's a lot of like new age kind of crystal it's <laughs> Stuff There's and, more like, crystal sto- stores in Sedona than there is in the rest of the country combined. Probably. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, ne- needless to say, there's a lot of um, psychedelic exploration going on there. So I was first introduced sometime sometime in high Easy school. Easy, narc. <laughs> so a lot of their spot. <laughs> There's a lot of legal activities going on out there. <laughs> yeah, so obviously I would never do anything like that, and I've never even I, I think there's possessed. enough people talking about drugs <laughs> on podcasts and stuff that we're safe. If they're coming after us, I'm going to I'm going to be like, "Bro, Joe Rogan lives in Texas right now. Go get him." <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I guess I guess for me, I, I, I want to get into, because um, I think there, there is something really cool with like growing up in Sedona and being exposed to psychedelics there in particular, like there is, mm-hmm. there, there was a lot of awareness around uh, it's their properties and their kind of like they were seen and talked about a lot of times as like plant medicine. So instead of it being like, yeah, let's go to a party and fucking take mushrooms and just have a fucking horrible trip. Like it was, (laughs) it was like, oh yeah, we can use this. Like if we have the right intention and we're in, and luckily Sedona, it's like a beautiful nature. uh, Like there's just so much beautiful nature. So, a lot yeah, of times it was like unbelievable. Yeah, being done out in nature uh, with these intentions of self exploration and healing. And I think that was like a huge part, or that is a huge part of why psychedelics are so powerful. Is And this is something that they've discovered and kind of verified time and time again, like in maps, for example, that, you know, they're, they've done these studies. I believe, yeah, those they did the John Hopkins studies, yeah. right? And like, and yeah. basically they, you know, they they kind of like verified that the basically one of the most important things, if not the most important thing, if you're going to have a a trip that has long lasting positive effects, is it's set and setting, right? And so I think yeah. we got really lucky in that we grew up in a place where people were super aware and intentional about the set and setting for the most part. Of By course, set and setting, 
that what that is is that mindset is the first one so that's like your intention that you take into it and then the setting is the area that you do it in yeah the, the people that location. you're with the location yeah, yeah, that, that you're too. in uh the general like vibes um and that's actually a really interesting thing because the set like that that's like it's also you can think of it as like the setup so that's like the the days before or the moments before you know you can there's all you're bringing into the session exactly so some people you know um and it depends on what what um substance you're using but like i know for ayahuasca it's really common to like you have like a month leading up to it where you slowly um you like change your whole diet and you slowly lead up to it getting to the point where you're just doing like a juice fast or something like that you know like really people take the the whole detox thing very seriously especially considering that with ayahuasca you have you're gonna have a pretty gnarly purge so i think it makes (laughs) it a lot easier to try to detox beforehand what's purge mean um (laughs) let's see Let's it means you're going to spew bodily fluids out of all of your orifices. Pretty much. Mostly your mouth you're going and ass. To but... Mostly your mouth and butthole, but also your eyeballs. <laughs> actually, you know, since I've never actually done an ayahuasca, and the, um, I would say the main, like, quote-unquote purging I do, I don't know if people, if, you know, shamans would consider this to be purging but i certainly do um with me it's just like tears like i'm not Mm. like weeping sitting there like but like whenever i do have a a, like a good mushroom trip um my eyes are just like flowing out it's just like constant tear tear duct flowing i think it has to do with like stress level yeah that's that's one of the ways that we can uh release like cortisol or not really it's the only way like not yeah it is release as in because release is like oh releasing into the body but like releasing it from the body you're uh, you're you're expunging it from the body yeah and that's the only way besides it like cortisol is actually processed by your liver Mm. and it like goes through this whole process in your body to be cycled out and the only other way to get it out of your body is through your tears so I knew crying felt so good for some reason, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, with psychedelics, I'm not, like, crying, crying. It's just my tears are flowing. I'm not crying, dude. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not crying. crying. <laughs> but um, for anyone out there who has not done this sort of thing, you already mentioned this, Hank but it always bears repeating do not do it at a party whatever you do every time i've ever heard anyone say something along the lines of oh yeah i tried i tried mushrooms or i tried acid it was terrible i had a horrible time first question i always ask them was were you at a party yeah that's why that's why you had a shitty time it's (laughs) like the worst possible location to do your first psychedelic trip is at a fucking party it's terrible 
terrible would sentence. Would not anyway. recommend, especially like because I know probably some had a people. Cheeseburger before you probably yeah. been drinking. It's just like not the way to do it. Especially There's people around you you don't know. Yeah, especially if it's like you know, because I know some people they like to use it as like a party thing, and then they're gonna do like a way low dose just eat a mm-hmm. couple caps or whatever and then it's like you know you're not actually going to induce hallucinations <laughs> um so i yeah, mean and i i to each their own you know so hey, ag- i've blasted my brain out at a couple of festivals and it can be really fun but it's just an, it's not a first time move yeah and it's also like generally at least from my experience like those kinds of trips um yeah like they can be fun they can be interesting but it kind of ends there like you rarely will bring anything back into real life any like teachings from those kinds of experiences it's more just like whoa that was fucking trippy man and it's like you know how much value is there to that that's kind of up to our everybody's individual discretion some people are more drawn to experiences like that and and other mm-hmm. people less and you know it is it is also really interesting talking about psychedelics because um you know like i've heard some people and i i've i've probably even said this in my past which is like dude literally everybody needs to take mushrooms like because the world would just be so much better of a place if everybody (laughs) just took mushrooms and like you know the old timothy leary yeah and it's it's (laughs) it's funny but like let's put acid in the water supply exactly like the, the problem with that is you know there's a huge interaction between I mean, first of all, set and setting. So, like, if you're just putting acid in people's fucking water and they're in a horrible place, like, it's just going to be worse. It's just going to be amplified and it's going to be way more intense. Um, At best, you'll probably just turn them off of the psychedelic experience, like all those people who decided to take it at a party and then was like, oh, yeah, that's terrible. It's not for me. Yeah, and, and so, and there's also, you know, there's an interaction between, like, personality and psychedelics and generally like Definitely. if you're not an open if if you're not high in openness it might not be the best um the best thing to try and what's interesting is a lot of people like they become more open after doing yeah. psychedelics but like i think there's a threshold there where if you're like not open to new ex- like to new experiences and if you're not open to just allowing things to to be and to like you know go into out outside of your comfort zone big time then it's not a good it's not a good thing and i definitely don't think it's for everyone so um yeah i don't think it's for everyone that being but said you think that it's for me no, I'm just kidding. It's, <laughs> it's definitely for me buddy it's i feel bad for you if it's not for you <laughs> um i i will say that if you are an experienced user um like and by that i mean like before i went to a festival and did mushrooms at a festival i had done 
mushrooms dozens and dozens of times, mostly mostly by myself. So I was like extremely familiar with the space, with my dose, with how I'm going to feel, with what I'm going to think. So like, um, when you get your get your sea legs a little bit, you can you can control yourself and your experience a lot better. So what I always suggest to people is like either do them by yourself in the beginning in in an extremely safe location you know at your home in your bed or with somebody who you who's knowledgeable and who you trust a lot um and who will who will who's no knows what to do because there's dude there's a lot of fucking clowns out there with this this always pisses me off when i see this there's a lot of people who like their goal when somebody trips with them is like oh i'm gonna make them trip out i'm gonna you know i'm gonna do all this weird shit to them and confuse them or things like that like a good guide is going to like try and make your experience conducive to your personal growth in some way or at least like is going to try and help you to enjoy it so like if you're if you're going to a festival and doing it for the first time Make sure somebody really knows what they're doing is there, and they can they can give you all the advice and they can they can keep you straight. Um, but f- I honestly think that the the best way to do them, especially mushrooms, is um, for you know an, an inexperienced user, is at your house in your bed by yourself. And I've had um, every time I tell some people that they're like. Yeah, I don't know if I want to do that. Like, it sounds scary, but it's actually the exact opposite. It's the least scary thing you can do with psychedelics. It's just like like taking a normal dose, you know, a, a hit of acid, an eighth of mushrooms, whatever it is, and just chilling in your bed listening to music. It's like, it, it makes you feel so fucking safe. Um, and people will have said to me, like, well, what if you have a bad trip? Don't you want somebody around? It's like the whole purpose of you doing that is because it's almost impossible to have a bad trip. Mm. Only time I ever had any kind of fear was in this. I told you about this, but this is actually a, a people don't don't get too freaked out by this story. But I had a, a mild allergic reaction to something in the air um, and my throat closed up uh, just a tad. Mm-hmm. I've never had a full throat closure like a like an asthma attack where I couldn't breathe anymore. But my breathing became a little labored, and I was like, oh, fuck, am I having an asthma attack right now in the middle of a mushroom trip? And, um, like, you might think, like, oh, that's recipe for bad trip. You have a, an allergic reaction in the middle of a mushroom trip. Believe it or not, what happened was I started freaking out a little bit, and then this little voice in my head, which that happens with mushrooms, people, you're something talks to you it's weird um it was like go ahead and try to stop breathing see if you can hold your breath can you stop breathing no you can't stop breathing so you're not going to stop breathing quit freaking out and it was you know non-judgmental but like like very reassuring and um compassionate and after that i just started like cracking up laughing i had a great time the rest of the time so it, unless barring some strange circumstance like that, you're going to be um, way less likely to have some kind of 
uh, bad time or negativity come up because it's where you feel the safest. That's in your bed. That's where you sleep. So hopefully you feel um, safe there. Yeah, hopefully. If you, if, that's why I say alone, because maybe uh, you never know how it's going to react with somebody else around you. Yeah. And even if you really enjoy somebody's company in your normal consciousness, it might not be the best person for you to do psychedelics with. Yeah, I think, so, I mean, honestly, if, uh, like, I, I agree with you to an extent, but it seems like now there's, it's, there are more and more opportunities to, um, explore psychedelics in a therapeutic setting, which I think is that's true. Probably, that's the, probably best, the best, uh, especially if you've never done it before. Like I think that is if if you have the opportunity to do that, that is definitely the way to go. Because if you have yeah, a license, I wasn't really counting that, but <laughs> yeah, but but that's what's so cool is like now we're like it's actually possible for people to do that um, yeah, legally. It is in in some some areas so that's if you have the opportunity to do that i would definitely definitely recommend that if it if it calls to you because with the work of i mean you have guys like dr gabor mate like his work is i think so so important i believe he's working with Doblin. yeah with um this like therapeutic uh psychedelic work and from from the studies we can see that it there's huge huge potential for uh very real and lasting changes that go along with um like by pairing therapy and and psychedelics so that's super super interesting and um yeah i i mean i could can't really recommend checking out his work enough because he he's done a lot on addiction has really really good stuff on addiction and childhood trauma and it's just fascinating Mm -hmm. fascinating stuff and i thought it's really interesting that he's also working with psychedelics yeah i didn't actually know that gabor mate was doing that um people check him out he's on some people's uh, podcasts um and he's just absolutely incredible he's doing amazing work um we're uh we're getting pretty close to uh to time to move on to this next one but before i wanted to ask you do you have any particular psychedelic stories you want to tell some somewhat brief ones i actually can't talk about psychedelics without talking a little bit about yeah yeah i'm down so i actually I can. I would like to share the first psychedelic experience that I had. Um, there you go. I this was. I was like on on uh, vacation in uh, in Santa Barbara, California, and mm-hmm. my my older brother's super good buddy from way back in the day like when we used to live there because i lived there when i was from when i was three to when i was six Mm -hmm. and um my brother's buddy from that time was still like in the area and he had some acid and he uh he wanted to like just go up into the mountains and and trip and i was lucky enough to be uh invited along i think i was i don't know i was probably like 
15 or 16 something like that really yeah and um yeah yeah i think i was 16 and uh so we like went up into uh, it's called bly canyon and we took we took acid and you know it was it was it was definitely not like a super intentional experience it was just like dude <laughs> acid and like we took some and it wasn't like a crazy amount um I think I had like, yeah, maybe a tab or like even maybe like 75 micrograms or something. But uh, it was funny because, you know, so we all took it at the same time and then we're like walking around and then we start to like, everybody just starts kind of giggling at the same time. Just like, (laughs) just like laughing because we're starting to come up. And, uh, and then Oh man. So, and then like, as we're starting to come up, we, I'm going to try to make this short, but there's some, there's a couple interesting details. So as we're coming up, we decide we're going to eat a mango, right? Mm, so that's a good call. we literally just like, just with our bare hands, just like tearing open the mango and <laughs> just like, it was the most <laughs> alien experience I had had up up until that point it was insane the experience of eating a mango with my bare hands and it was super ripe and delicious and like it was this weird alien fruit juice you have all the going fibers all over you all over my face juice everywhere <laughs> and the reason why i specifically bring this up is because for one it was a very alien experience and i remember thinking like dude i could imagine seeing this on some alien fucking planet it's such a weird fruit <laughs> it's a weird fucking fruit about 30 to 45 minutes later uh or maybe 20 30 minutes later we uh this guy who shall remain nameless <laughs> uh he pulls out a, a fat joint uh medical Ooh. medical marijuana joint and for people who don't this know is a good first time yeah, right here for people who don't know there's there's a specific chemical in mango that when you once digested it allows thc to pass through the blood brain barrier like more efficiently so it basically just like it, it just ups your high it's like a catalyst and it's like the old, like makes you 15 percent higher man yeah we're yeah exactly <laughs> so, <laughs> that's what all the kids in high school used to say yeah so then you know basically exactly like when when we've started to digest the the mango juices we we smoke this fat joint and it's so insanely dank insanely dank weed and i just remember we're like walking along the path this is like you know maybe a minute after we smoke the joint and like we start walking and then we all just stop at the same time and we turn and like look o- over the just look at the surrounding area and it's like you know mm. the path is like kind of on the side of this uh this mountain and then we're looking at other mountains and f- it was yeah. so trippy because we all just like stopped at the same time we look and uh for anyone who hasn't been to Santa Barbara like it's a pretty um it's pretty like lush actually so it has yeah there's a lot of 
plants and like a lot of greenery a lot of greenery and so this was right after smoking the joint also which like times 10 it was like times 10 on where we were at it just completely <laughs> took us to a new fucking plane of existence and i just remember looking and seeing my whole vision was filled with these like forests on the on the mountains and i could see every single leaf swaying in the wind okay and like this so there was this crazy like just seeing the undulation of all of these different organisms all in concert and and then i had this crazy um it, it was like a it's kind of hard to explain but it was like a almost like an optical illusion where it looked like so this like horizontal landscape and the, and the sun was kind of like uh it wasn't setting but it was like towards towards uh it was like starting to go down so it was, so it was kind of mm -hmm. towards the edge of like if you have the landscape here the sun's like here and it it was so weird because it in my in my experience it flipped and it seemed like the what was a horizontal landscape was now a vertical cliff and the sun was at the top of the cliff and i'm standing there looking at it sideways and i'm just like what is going and the whole thing is just <laughs> and, and like it was absolutely insane okay i'm going to i'm going to speed up here almost done You're we're good. standing there staring at this fucking thing and then all of a sudden this guy just he just starts sprinting down the trail <laughs> just out of nowhere he just starts sprinting down the trail and we're like holy shit so my brother and i like we start running after him and we're just we're just running as fast as we can down the trail and this was so weird dude we didn't notice it but like over time these this specific plant was becoming more and more frequent in the path so like at first they were yeah. just like a couple of them here and there there's these little spiky like it's literally just a fucking like a thistle uh no it, it's i don't even know how to describe it it's super weird like it's a stalk with a ball that has like just sp like spines hmm. sticking out of it really i've never seen the plant before didn't really notice it but as we were running they started like and we didn't notice it as we were running but at a certain point we stopped and we realized that they were literally everywhere we were completely surrounded they had overgrown the entire fucking they trail surrounded literally the entire trail and and uh, my brother and i we were wearing vibrams like the yeah. the five fingers so we could feel yeah. every time we took a step they would like poke through the <laughs> And we could just feel it, and but it was so weird because I felt like out of nowhere, they they had literally overgrown everything, and it was all we could see. And we stopped, and we were like, "What? What happened?" And um, and we we managed to make our way out. Last thing, this whole time I forgot to say this: this whole time we were reduced to caveman speak like we couldn't talk like we couldn't communicate like the most the whole time just like, oh, yeah the, exactly the most we could ever say was like one word at a time 
Like we could like just do say a vague word or like point at something, <laughs> and like it was it literally felt like pre language, but we just had like sounds that vaguely meant certain things. I don't know. It was really really strange overall no, i know exactly what you're talking about overall an extremely pleasant experience i had there's also about 10 or 20 minutes where i just laid under a tree and stared at it and mm. felt the oneness of everything and it was one of the most <laughs> beautiful experiences i had had up until that point um and yeah that's about all the relevant details that i can i can think of i'd say that was a pretty good one <laughs> You know, talking, describing psychedelic experiences can sort of sometimes be like describing your dreams to people. Yeah, for sure. It's like it, if you're a good storyteller, you can it can it can be fun. But most of the time, people are just like, "I was so fucking high, man! Everything <laughs> was moving around. There was patterns on the walls." Like, yep, that's what happens. Um, so I'll try to keep mine somewhat brief, so we uh we got enough time. Um, I wanted to tell the one. You were actually ancillarily involved with this one. This is when I called you after I did my seven gram dose, mm. my extra heroic dose. Um, for those of you who don't know, um, uh, Terrence McKenna, the uh, sort of one of one of the uh, big names in the psychedelic community. Um, he coined the term heroic dose for mushrooms and he considered it like five grams and you do it like how I was saying in a dark room by yourself and he said that it was like the the pinnacle mushroom experience and um, definitely got to agree first of all um, I took seven because I I just tend to have a pretty high tolerance to things probably just due to my size and weight um, so I took seven. I was by myself. I called Hank. Um, as soon as I started feeling it, I called Hank. And we were having a good time chatting on the phone. And I remember this you're a perfect person to call because, like, like you knew what I was doing. And you were saying, like, okay, well, whenever you're ready to go off by yourself, you just let me know and we'll hang up. And, uh, and yeah, we had this, like, great, fun conversation. I'm staring at my living room rug, and uh, I had this this cool patterned rug, and it was just like perfect for for looking at on psychedelics. So I'm sitting there, like marching around my room, talking to you. And I, for, it it takes some practice, people. You can get good at talking on psychedelics, but I I'm pretty good at talking on psychedelics. So we were like having a conversation, like you and I do. Um, and then when I got off the phone with you, that's when things got fucking weird. <laughs> in a good way so by the time I'm like oh no before I get to that I did have one moment on the phone with you where I had like an epiphany and I couldn't fully describe it but it was basically like talking like telling you that like like life is all about enjoying life it's just like all about the fun Mm. and it made me so happy and I was like I was like literally like pumping my arms and going yes (laughs) Fuck yeah! Yeah, <laughs> I was so stoked. And then after that, I got off the phone with you, and I was living by myself, so I could walk around the whole house. But I went into my room, 
and uh, funny enough is, is a little background. I was moving into a new apartment like the next, like that weekend. And I had scheduled, and I totally forgot about this, I had scheduled my internet to be shut off that night. So my internet got cut off. I had my phone still, though. But, um, so I, I've got my phone, and that's pretty much all I have, which, by the way, people, pro tip for psychedelics, um, electronic screens will bring you down. Um, not like bring you down like emotionally, but like bring your high down. So if you want to, if you want to trip more, don't look at your screens. Um, so I've got my phone, I'm just playing music. And there's this moment where, like, you know, I'm up, I'm energetic, I'm excited. And there's this moment where I get this, like, image in my head. And I've told you about this one before, but it's it's one of the most powerful, like, people call them visions. Um, this isn't like an open-eye hallucination. That's something, it's like an, an extremely vivid imaginative experience. Um, and so I have this this image come into my head of the world turning and this uh, something starts rising up above the the plane kind of like if you're out in space and i think it's the moon rising up over the earth but it ends up being my face like smiling and looking down at the earth <laughs> <laughs> and it w- but it wasn't like a like a peaceful like happy smile it was like a mischievous like eyes <laughs> eyes wide open kind of like hey um after that, I I start to get these, like, light flashes in the bottom of my eyes. That was the first actual, like, full-on open-eye hallucination I've gotten. Because for those of you who've done psychedelics before, or maybe for those of you who haven't, patterns come up on walls on 3D surfaces, but it's very rare. It takes a shitload for you to actually see something that isn't there in your eye in your in your visual field like a 3d object that isn't there so these lights start popping up in the bottom of my eyes and i get this feeling of you know the way that i've always described it because there's not really a better way to describe it for me is like i was getting a hug from god like i felt this like embrace of love to me and like compassion and i had this like quick little moment of like like i cried just a little bit and like my my legs got started to get kind of weak and I start to like sink down and I lay back on the floor and as soon as my head hits the floor it was like I had fucking blasted off into a rocket ship something happened something triggered in my brain at that moment and this is the only time I've ever had like full-on out-of-body like I was no longer in my own body um I was seeing full, my visual field was completely different. I could open my eyes, I could shut my eyes, and all I saw was this, like, world of colors and these, like, I, I, I describe it as, like, it was it was like a landscape, like a river and hills and stuff, but it was made out of this, like, riot of colors, like a, like a paint pour or something like that. Mm. And the coolest part about it wasn't the visuals, it was that there was an like an audience there and so not only am i getting visual hallucinations i start hearing this shit and what it is is it's like the cheering of like a crowd of children and so and i i hear somebody go look he's doing it 
and I'm staying in this space and I realized that it it took me like a little bit of focus and effort to stay in this place that I was in and it felt like the the beings that were occupying that space thought like that I it was it was kind of like I was doing like a dance or a trick like I was break dancing or something Mm. like to them it was just like oh fuck yeah look he's doing it look who's here and then I pop back out of it, and then I pop back into it one more time, and then I heard the cheering again. They're like, look, he's doing it again! And they just thought it was like a hilarious thing for me to be in that space. And I couldn't see anything. I could only hear the the crowd of these, like, beings, whatever the fuck it was. And um, then after a little bit, I, I get kind of like exhausted from that effort. It was really strange. And I and I end up having to pop back out of it. And when I come back out of it, like my eyes had just been flowing with tears the whole time. And I felt really, really good. And um, then I, I started to come down some. And then I checked on my internet and my internet had just shut off. <laughs> like that was the moment it, while I was in that space, my internet had shut off. Hmm. And um, so after that, I end up, um, like I said, I was exhausted at this point. This is hours into my trip. And so I, I actually break out my phone because this is a good thing to do if you are, uh, if you are like really up there and you're getting, getting worn out and you need to come down a little bit. Um, I just, this is my go-to. I have like some art subreddits that I'm subscribed to, so I'll... I'll just check out these like basically online art galleries. So you check out other people's paintings, you check out their drawings, all that kind of cool stuff. And um, that was the uh, that was my my come down. That's my come down ritual is to uh, is to relax, find a comfy spot, and uh, listen to music and look at art. Hmm. So there's my there's my psychedelic story. Wow. I don't think you ever told me that in in full. So that was. That was cool to to hear the the full story. I even abbreviated it a little bit. <laughs> um, I uh, I do want to get into our next segment here. Yeah, dude, I'm we're just gonna, gonna let gonna... you go off. I know you I know you prepared for this, so just take the <laughs> wheel, dude. I'll take the wheel on this one. We're gonna tie this conversation together with these two seemingly completely unrelated topics with somebody who's known for both of them. Um, Mr. Richard Alpert, a.k.a. Ramdas. And uh, many of you have probably heard of Ramdas. Um, he's, he's pretty well known these days. But he's very special to me, um, very special to a lot of people. He, it's hard to say, like, what Ramdas is because he's lived... It seems like many lives in one existence. Yeah, for sure. So um, I think that's actually one of he's he's one of the people who I'm like, okay, that name change was absolutely necessary. Right. <laughs> he was no longer Richard Albert anymore. Yeah. So Richard was born into a successful Jewish family. He went to Harvard. Um, he was actually actually he didn't go to Harvard. He was a professor at Harvard. Um, I'm not going to get into his entire backstory. I've actually been reading the Harvard Psychedelic Club, which is a great 
book to check out if you want to check out um, Richard's earlier life. Um, and then you've got, like, honestly, the Be Here Now talks are probably the best introduction to Ram Dass. Um, so Richard is a very successful Harvard professor. Um, he, uh, he, his father wanted him to be a businessman or a doctor or a lawyer or something like that, because that's what you did in that particular social structure. But Richard was always kind of the, kind of a little offbeat from his family. And when he went to Harvard, he ends up like kind of being dissatisfied by a lot of the things that are going on. And this is something that a lot of people don't actually know about Ramdas. He ends up being like a total sex hound. And this is another thing that people oftentimes don't know about him. He's gay. So he's having like all these like wild sexual experiences with men at Harvard. And this is, mind you, people, this is in the 60s. So that is not okay to people back then. Being a gay man was already a big no-no. But being like, <laughs> like just a, you know, a sex-crazed, uh, you know, total hound about it, that would have been like, extremely uncouth and um i actually think he i forget exactly what it was but he i know he got in some trouble for being a sexually active gay man at some point um but he had he, he was just he was going off the rocker with this with this stuff and he i think he i don't i haven't actually gotten to the part where um like the actual the first sort of introduction into this but um at some point, Timothy Leary comes along. And for those of you who don't know who Timothy Leary is, um, check him out. Great fucking story. Very, very famous um, psychedelic pioneer, we'll say. And he, it, honestly, it might have to be another biography segment, but Timothy had a very um, strong... Uh, opinion about psychedelics and he was the guy that we were saying earlier wanted to introduce LSD into the water supply <laughs> um, but he ended up him and um, Richard and some other people at Harvard ended up doing a bunch of experiments with psychedelics and surprisingly they're actually allowed to do it but they weren't supposed to do it with undergrads they weren't supposed to run their psychedelic experiences on undergrads. And they ended up doing it with undergrads and getting in big trouble for it. I actually think that's why they ended up getting kicked out of Harvard. But they get kicked out of Harvard. And Richard ends up going... We'll, we'll leave everybody else in, in that, uh, that scene behind for now. Because Richard ends up going to India and meeting this man, if you can call him that meeting this being named Maharaji, uh, Neem Karoli Baba. And Neem Karoli was a, uh, he was an Indian spiritual guru, and he's very well known in, um, in the 
spiritual world, uh, the Hindu world. There's a he's got a lot of temples around. Um, I know he's got one in America, um, but he's got a he's, there's a, a few of them in uh, in India, and I think he actually has his own specific dedicated ashram in India. But Ram, uh, Maharaji was this. He honestly is deserving of another biography segment, but I'm going to try to not get too much into Maharaji here. But Maharaji's incredible. It's good to talk about him all day long, too. So Ramdas meets Maharaji, and he starts to, like, get into Indian spirituality through Ramdas, or through Maharaji. Maharaji just blows his fucking mind with his just his presence. It's not even like... He was saying things because Maharaji didn't speak English. Um, so he or it was his English was like extremely bad, or or like he just didn't have a whole lot of English vocabulary. And um, his, so his presence was really what uh, what hit um, Richard at first, and he ends up giving him the name Ramdas. Um, and uh, there's there's a whole story that goes into this, and I don't want to tell the whole story because I don't have a ton of time here, but <laughs> I do want to tell one story that ties into this, and you mentioned this. I'm glad you reminded me of this. So at one point during this first thing, um, Richard brings over a bunch of acid to India, and he gives Neem Karoli some of this acid. Now, this is a shitload of acid. This is like... The, the sunshine, dankest to the dank acid. Oh, real and, quick. There is yeah. a, a, a little detail about this that is super interesting because apparently, you know, because at this point, like, uh, Ramdas or Richard, he, he was, like, st- he was still pretty, like, convinced about, like, about acid. And he was still, like, there's... Like, I need somebody to way. tell me what is happening, you know? So that's part of the reason that yeah. he went to India. But what's super interesting is apparently he didn't mention that to anybody there. He didn't say anything to it, uh, to Maharaji or, like, anyone there at all that, that's, that he wanted to explore that. And at one point, Maharaji, maybe it was through a translator or something, but he was just like, so... Where's the medicine? He's like, what? Oh no, I'll get to this part because <laughs> this is this is uh th- that that was actually the second time because uh-huh. he gave Maharaji acid twice. Ah, okay. So, okay. so he goes there the first time, gives him acid, and the story goes that Maharaji takes the the tab and like throws it in his mouth, and um, <clears throat> nothing happens. He just he just keeps on going about his day. And this is like a massive dose of acid. And um, Ramdas goes back to America and talks to one of his friends who's active in the acid community and tells a story to him and the guy goes, Dude, you got you got bamboozled. He didn't actually take it. He just threw it away. And you thought he, he did a little sleight of hand trick where he you thought that he th- threw it in his mouth, but he really just tossed it and then he pretended to be this this magical man. Mm. And 
this was absolutely devastating to Ramdas. You know, he had changed his name. This was like his new fucking god. And so this was devastating to him. But he goes back to India, goes back to Maharaji. And um, Mahar- there's a lot of stories about Maharaji doing this kind of stuff, people. So, you know, take it however you want. I, I choose to take it at face value. Um, but Maharaji was known to kind of like know everything. <laughs> like he would just tell people shit that they that nobody should know. Yes, what they were Even thinking. Complete strangers. Stuff that they problems did, with their body. No, stuff yeah. with their relatives. Yeah. <laughs> like, like oh, you should write to your mother. Your mother is missing you. My mother lives ten thousand miles away. Uh, she's missing you right now. You should give her a call. You know, she, he would say shit like that to people all the time, and. He he says to Ramdas and he goes he he's like Ramdas, where's the medicine? <laughs> like he said, he, he mm. asks him, where's the medicine? And Ramdas is like, what? What are you talking about? And he goes, what? Or, or, he goes, uh, what did you give me last time? And he goes, I gave you acid. And he goes, did I take it? And Ramdas says, I don't know, I don't know if you took it. And Ramdas or Maharaji says, do you have more? And Ramdas says, yeah, I brought more. He says, give it to me. And he gives Maharaji the acid, and Maharaji takes it, and he, like, really, like, over-enunciates his movements and, like, puts it on his tongue and goes, nom, 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 and then, and, like, shows him that he has the acid tab in his mouth. And he swallows it, and, and this is the best part. He fucking, Maharaji takes his blanket and, like, brings it over him and, like, sits under the blanket and starts, like, going, <laughs> like, like making all these weird noises, and uh, Ramdas thinks that he's like he like murdered this guy. <laughs> he's like, oh fuck, I just killed this yeah, old man. He didn't, like he didn't know what he was taking. Amount of acid, also, wasn't it, it was like ten hits of, or it, something like? Yeah, it was some. Ins- it was some ridiculous dose of acid. And so he, at this point, Ramdas is thinking like, oh fuck. The first time he really didn't take it, and now he's taking this huge dose. I fucking killed him. And after a, a, a few seconds, Maharaji just starts like cracking up, laughing. He takes the blanket off, and basically, it's just like I got you. Like he's he was making fun of Ramdas, and he uh, he then goes on to explain like, this is the yogi medicine. We've known about this for thousands of years. I've done this sort of thing before. And, you know, he's probably talking about mushrooms or something like that. But basically, he, he goes on to explain to Ram Dass, he, and he, said, he has this awesome line that is just, like, sums up the, the whole psychedelic thing really well. He says, This will bring you into the room with Christ, but it's better to become him. And that's what, that was, like, the transformational moment for Ram Dass, or mm. one of the many when he sort of decides that like spiritual practice, meditation, yoga, these kinds of things are what he's been looking for and trying to find through the psychedelics. And um, (laughs) this is another funny part that I wanted to mention. Uh, Maharaji tells Ram Dass, he goes, don't tell anyone about me in the West. Mm. (laughs) And Ram Dass proceeds to tell fucking everybody about him and so Maharaji starts getting this steady trickle of random westerners coming to his ashram 
and there's there's so many great stories about um, about all this. But Ramdas ends up being kind of like the the shepherd of this little flock of Westerners, and eventually, in um, I believe it's 1973, um, Maharaji dies, leaves his body. They like to say. Um, and Ramdas comes back to America. I actually think he was already in America when uh, when he got the news, and he ends up sort of becoming the the face of or the the leader of the um the the spiritual movement that came out of the hippie movement in the '60s. And before Maharaji died, he writes this book um, called Be Here Now, which is it's kind of confusing to say he wrote it. Because not only is it like, like some of it is written, some of it is like this wild looking, like artistic script. And yeah, the, for people the who, haven't, part in the book. who haven't read Be Here Now, I would highly, highly recommend it. It's such, a, such an amazing book it's like a multimedia experience like it's i need to i need to get another copy i've given away all mine yeah <laughs> I keep buying them and giving them away to people it's just um, it's just amazing i would highly highly recommend checking that out if if you haven't it's one of the most amazing things i've ever experienced like i said it's almost like not even you can't even almost uh, can't you almost can't even say that you're reading it yeah and um Ramdas, the way he describes it is that the the brown pages, the ones that are really trippy and psychedelic and and kind of give the message of be here now, those as he explains the, that's Maharaji. He said that he actually channeled those words and they were Maharaji channeling through him to write or he actually did um talks first and he wrote them down hmm. into this beautiful experience. And Ramdas claims claimed that um, he said that's Maharaji's book and he decides where it goes and he um, he ends up becoming I mean Be Here Now used to be referred to as the hippie bible so he ends up becoming this big spiritual leader and, and uh, giving talks all over all over the, all over the place um, then I, I forget exactly when it was I want to say it's the late 90s, but I can't remember. Um, he actually has a stroke, and he almost dies from it. And afterwards, he, he before his stroke, he was like in this incredible orator. So if people, if you want to check out Ramdas, Be Here Now is a great place to start, but you you really want to check him out um, through his talks. There's a Here and Now is a podcast where they they play his old recorded uh, stuff. That's a great place to start. There's audiobooks and stuff that uh, that have his recorded talks, but he was an incredible speaker, and he just had this knack of getting up there and talking for an hour straight about things that will just melt your mind and just giving, giving it in a way that is entertaining, enjoyable, um, absorbable for anyone. Um, so I, w- I would highly recommend checking out his talks. But after the stroke, he couldn't really talk anymore. 
and he could he could talk it would be very slow and very soft like he he couldn't he wasn't adroit at speaking anymore and one of my favorite lines from um Raghu Marcus who runs uh Ramdas's foundation um the love server member foundation by the way um he said this really great line once that has always stuck with me. He said, Ramdas, he used to talk about it before the stroke. After the stroke, he became what he was talking about. Mm. And it actually kind of goes back to how Maharaji affected him. Ramdas would go around and he Raghu would be wheeling him around in his wheelchair and people would see him and just like burst into tears. And yeah. they just want to like touch him, touch his feet, hug him. And he's he was like always open to people. And I remember Raghu telling this story one time of like how he was like walking down the street with him in a wheelchair and like he was getting annoyed because people kept on coming up to him and he started he started like telling people like, No, no, like he's he's too tired, go away. And Rob Doss got mad at him. <laughs> He just like gave him a beat me look, and he was like, "No." <laughs> but there's all these great stories, and one of the one of the big reasons I wanted to bring Ramdas into this conversation is because Ramdas was a big time activist, um, not just with psychedelics. He was an activist in um, philanthropic things all over the world. Um, I remember one really great. Uh, story with him and Maharaji was where he um, he wanted he had this bus tricked out like a VW bus and he, he uh, wanted to trick it out as a triage vehicle and take it into this like essentially a war zone and he was over there in India with Maharaji and he was like getting ready to go and Maharaji was like no no you shouldn't do that you should stay here and Ramdas got like upset at him he was like, how can you just sit here when this is going on? Like, we have to do something. And Maharaji says this great line that is now, like, kind of the way that I live my life and uh, the way that I view the world. He says, um, he says, Ramdas, when are you going to understand that everything is perfect? Everything's perfect. And that became a big central means by the way Ramdas didn't listen to him he went anyways but that became a central theme of what Ramdas preached over the years is like everything's fine you're fine the world's fine everything that you perceive as something wrong with the world is just part of the show and what you really are is this eternal oneness that pervades all existence and you're just wearing a little puppet on top of that that you call your body and mind and personality and ego. And you're playing out a role. And yeah, that role may be painful sometimes, but it's extremely temporary. And you, who you really are, is not temporary. It's eternal. And compared to your eternal existence, your suffering is just this tiny little wisp of smoke. And so a lot of what he taught is um, and what I'd like to impress upon people is what I like to describe as kind of like expanding your view to the extreme 
So taking your life, yourself, your individual problems, your individual worries, like right down to like, I've got a little ache in my joints or something like that. Everything that's on that microscopic only you level. And you just keep on expanding and expanding and expanding. And no matter what you believe, even if you don't believe all this stuff about you being an eternal being, you being, you know, you having a soul, all that stuff, you look at the the universe around you and how big and how expansive it is and how small you are in comparison. It's still the same thing. Like, oh, you don't you don't think the world's perfect? Well, this is a single planet in a single solar system in a single galaxy when there's billions and billions of planets in solar systems in just our galaxy and an unknown billions of galaxies in the universe like the you compared to the universe it doesn't matter what you believe you still come to the same point you we're just there's not a whole lot going on and yeah that kind of takes away a little bit from our our egoic side of like i want to be great i want to be a great artist i want to change the world for the better i want to be famous but all that stuff is really kind of egoic to begin with and so what that with that thought with that practice of expanding your view is designed to do is it's designed to bring you to a place of equanimity to where it's like oh your highs and lows no neither of them really matter they're temporary experiences and everything around you is going to outlast you all these stars and planets it's it's so much more than you but it's so easy to get locked into us as the hero of our own story um, as ragu calls it the movie of me um and th- i guess that's that's probably where i'm gonna end it because we're running over time here but just try to try to remember and try to think about a little bit of context and who and what you are and remember the incredible beauty and expansiveness of the universe around you and it actually is a really good tool whenever you get down and I use it all the time when I get depressed and it's just just start to think about the stars start start to think about the size of things it sounds simple and stupid but like thinking about the scale of the universe is actually really helpful if you're kind of stuck in your own shit and you know with Ramdas, I think that it's become fashionable to be secular and to be non-religious. But one thing that I really loved about Ramdas, because I I'm into it too, is that he wasn't embarrassed to say, "Oh yeah, you you know, God is real and He loves you." <laughs> it's like he he was unabashedly spiritual. And what I really, um, what I really love about that is that it it brings magic into the universe around you, and I think that we really need that these days. We're getting way too far up our own asses, and adding a little bit of magic, a little bit of expansiveness, not taking ourselves and the world so seriously, it's gonna do you a lot of good. End scene.
Great. Sounds good. I'll do my best. <laughs> Sounds good, bro. <laughs> easier oh, said you got than anything done, else to but, say? Uh, oh, it's definitely easier said than done. That's why I gave him an easy thing to do. There you have it. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Sorry we went a little long today. It was necessary. Peace. Bye, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, that was another episode of Casual Cognition in the bag. As always, we really appreciate you tuning in. And Nate and I both hope that you're having a wonderful day or night, wherever it is that you're listening. If you want to get in touch with us or support the podcast, you can check out the description of the episode. We have links to the Casual Cognition email and links to our various social media platforms. Blessings upon you. And until next time, keep it casual.